from Beverly Hills, California. Everybody knows I'm gorgeous, pretty, beautiful, whatever you want to call me. Bobby the Brain Heenan. What's Gretzky's number? 99. What's Check your number? that out. Oh number one. You know, I'm the kind of a man that doesn't like to be made a fool of. Now interview me. Okay, Bobby Heenan. You know what I was thinking before you... Oh, I'm sorry. You were going to say something. What is this, the Weasel Open? No, oh, it's not the Weasel Open. This is a proper attire when you play golf in Beverly Hills. The suit has claws and everything. This is a, very much a, a replica of a weasel. Wave well, just hit the hands. Come on, come on. Oh! Yes. Those are nice feathers. That's a boa? It's a little ragged now, but I'll get it. So are you, one. so what's the difference? Right. I'm Gorilla Monsoon along with Bobby the Brain Heenan, and as you can see, we're here. Wait, 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 wait. let me tell them where we're at. Oh, all right. We're sitting by my, in my palatial estate in Beverly Hills. We are poolside. Where, where's the thing that shows how far you went or how? It's broke. Don't worry about it. I'm keeping it in my mind. So far, it says you haven't gone anywhere. I got it right here. Smell it, kid. Go ahead, smell it. Oh, oh there's my right there. Hello, Jack. Where are you going? I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> you stop? You have a rifle. Will you stop? Just wait a minute. We're on the area. What is that? Cash. Oh, you're loaded. You got about $3 in there again. Uh, nice. Come on, Barry. We're a little harder. Come on, kick it in high gear. Hey. Back off a little bit. I'm a gentleman. I'm Bobby the Brain Heenan. Regardless of what these humanoids have to say about weasel. Hi, Bobby. Hi, Bobby. Bobby. Ah, ah. Hi, Bobby. Bobby. You know the rules. Mr. Heenan. That's right. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Bobby Heenan. We're on the air. We're... I know. It's a family show. I know. I picked Booger to win. These two guys. You know, these two guys, I'll tell you something about Bundy and stuff. What? I would like to challenge you, Hogan, at any time, any place. If I'm Uncle Morty Thompson, he needs me inside. I, I got to I go now. I ran into your wife earlier. Uh, you listen to me, you go to the top. Suplex City, bitch. Do I look like a jacked-up white guy with a giant head and a military crew? This is your United States of After no mercy, I will still be the champ. Kurt Angle will still be a terrible father. And you will still be a bastard. Hello, humanoids, and welcome to episode four of the Hitting the Marks 
Pro Wrestling Podcast for Thursday, September 21st, 2017. Today's show is dedicated to the greatest manager in the history of the professional wrestling business, Bobby the Brain Heenan. On this double tap edition of the Hitting the Marks, we've got a little bit of everything as we run down some Lucha Underground, GFW Impact, AAA, New Japan Pro Wrestling, the WWE, and of course, some of our fondest memories of the weasel. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you that this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world, talking creative, the business aspects of professional wrestling, and of course, giving our unsolicited opinions. You can contact the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, joined alongside your Huckleberry, RBV. Rick, welcome to your show. It's me, it's me. RBV, Rick Vickery, glad once again to be here. Got a lot of hot, hot topics to run down here. But no better way to kick it off than celebrating life and times and our personal memories of one of the, the greatest of all time, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Unfortunately, Bobby Heenan, we lost him on uh, last Sunday. Uh, so we just wanted to give a couple of our favorite memories here. There's been an awful lot said about Bobby the Brain here in the last few days and by people that knew him a whole lot better than us. All we, all we can really speak to was the product that we saw as, as children. And I made the comment here a couple of weeks ago that Jim Ross was the voice of my childhood, and that's not entirely true. Jim Ross was the voice of my teenage years, but Bobby Heenan, he's what really hooked me on professional wrestling. Probably the greatest heel in the early days of the WWF. I think this news broke on Sunday. It's one of those, those rare moments that just hits you in your gut. You don't even personally know this person, but they were they were so good at what they did. And it's one of the special things about pro wrestling is that we can become so involved with the character and that persona, and it almost becomes you know almost like real life, and you connect with them. And the out the outpouring emotion shown by so many fans across the internet and and other news media outlets, it, 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 it was overwhelming and very impressive. Just, just let you know how special of a person he was. I don't think there's any debate that he is the greatest professional wrestling manager of all time. Do you have any debate there? Personally, I, I would never argue that. And to really hammer that point home, when all the other greats say, yeah, there's us, and then there's that next level, and that's him alone, you, you kind of have to, to respect that viewpoint. Of course, our generation grew up with the brain and Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, if you really want to see some classic Bobby Heenan stuff, though, go back on the network, look up the AWA, look up some of the work that he did with Nick Bockwinkle, and the work that he did against Hulk Hogan going all the way back to the AWA. I, I think that a case could very much be made that if Hulk Hogan was the babyface that brought the WrestleMania era to the mass public, Bobby Heenan was the heel opposite of Hulk Hogan. As great as he was in, in the commentator booth, my, my earliest real-time memory is when he broke a, a young Rick Vickery down to tears during a match between the Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude at WrestleMania for the Intercontinental Championship. And the Weasel, as he always did, had to stick his nose in there 
and he latched onto the leg of the warrior as he was bringing Rude back into the ring over that top rope. And this Rude fell on top of the champion. The one, two, three, the villain stole the, stole the win. I was just crushed as a, as a young fan. You know, one of the things that really stands out about Bobby the Brain Heenan to me was the fact that he would always align himself. You know, we say now that so-and-so needs a mouthpiece. None of the people that Heenan was aligning himself with, maybe with the exception of Andre to an extent, really needed a mouthpiece. Like, you're talking about ravishing Rick Rude, Nick Bockwinkle, Mr. Perfect. He didn't need a mouthpiece. He just added so much to the characters, though. You know, he hated all that, and he had always got the top talent to join the family. But it was that old mindset. You know, that, that bad guy, that heel, has got to have a manager. you got you know, got that outside interference, and when you need it, that scapegoat. And, and he fulfilled that role perfectly. Well, and it was also the feud with Hulk Hogan. If you were going into a title program with Hulk Hogan, Bobby Heenan's your manager. Heenan was by far the biggest heel that Hogan had to go against, at least through the AWA in the early days of the WWF. One of the things... It's right there to to put over your, your, I don't want to say worst, but your worst characters, you know, your villains. He was there to put them over to take them to that next level so that they could compete with with a Hawkamania. But Bobby Heenan was so in touch with his character and protected that character so dear to him. You know, my personal favorite Bobby Heenan memory is always going to be when Hogan joined the NWO and Heenan lets out Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. Uh, I think that even in that, in that entire moment there, when he just put the cat out of the bag as well, he didn't give a shit. But whose side is he on? Well, because for 20 years, Hogan and Heenan had been feuding, and Heenan was trying to convince everybody that Hulkamania was bullshit, Hulk Hogan was a fraud, and in that moment, Bobby Heenan was right. That was what made that whole moment. All his years, and it finally came to fruition for him. You know, he was right. He could pound the steps proudly, let everyone know that what he was proclaiming just came damn true. But he was also the measuring stick of morality in WCW, too. Because even though Heenan was by far the heel commentator, even Heenan wouldn't align himself with Hogan and the NWO. There were some things that were just so heinous that even Bobby Heenan was like, nope. And you had all that bad blood for all those years. He helped He truly was just an amazing, amazing performer. And I know when... We have these conversations all the time about the greatest, and we usually just mention injury performers. But it takes a lot of a lot of different personalities, characters to pull off a great wrestling show. And he needs to do it all, and he deserves to be up there with the with the greatest of the great. Throughout the show today, we're going to sprinkle in some of our personal favorite Bobby the Brain Heenan clips. We hope that you enjoy. Hulk Hogan's here! Hulk Hogan is in the building! You're damn right he is! Go get him, Hulkster! Yeah, but whose side is he on? Go, what are you talking about? Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Yes, sir! Get him, Hogan! Go get him, baby! Come on and get some of this now! Who's bad now, boys? 
Hulk Hogan arrived. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. What is oh he doing? Oh my God! Is he the third man? He's the third man. What oh. the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man. Look in at this picture. Oh my God! What the hell is going on? Oh my God! Are you kidding me? I, probably the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling. That man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother. You just what have I been saying the all devil. these years? Huh? What have I been saying all these years? Oh, you know, oh my can... God. Moving forward to a bit more current and I would like to say happier news, but unfortunately, Raw and SmackDown this week were not happy for me. Lowest common denominator booking, my friend. Two nights in a row. So let's kick it off with Monday Night Raw. Now, first of all, coming in, we'll tie in our last segment there. Very disappointing. And I think this segment was shared by many, many a fan. But we just get the graphic there for Mr. Heenan. No Sandow salute. You don't open up the show with that nice tribute package. And I think coming out of the gate, when you didn't have that there, the expectations were for it. It just, it just came off on a sour, on a sour foot. At least they did do a tribute package later in the show. Uh, I was outraged that they didn't do a 10-bell salute. If anybody deserved a 10-bell salute, it was Bobby the Brain Heenan. I completely agree. You know, we got the tweets throughout the show. And then they finally give us the package in the third hour when millions of viewers are already tuning out. What? I, I, just, I just thought they missed out on something that could have been a very special evening for them. Why do you think that they did that? Why, why do you think that they... I, granted, some of Heenan's best work, at least in my mind's eye, was his AWA stuff. Going back and watching it now in hindsight. Right. Of course, a lot of our generation is going to remember Bobby the Brain Heenan as one of the voices of Monday Nitro. Is it just that Vince is just like, well, you know, most of it didn't happen here, so we're not... Like, they didn't even put a picture of Nick Bockwinkle in the package. I think there was one in there, Robbie. Like a real quick flash. Well, if, if so, it was quick enough, I missed it. Right. And then I, I think it was probably going to be... I think the reason that they went this route... Maybe they didn't think, you know, that a lot of their fans would remember or would connect with with what was going on there. But they have to realize, I know that they target towards that family, that young family, the children's base. But their rating show, the average viewer, is 40s to 50s right now. And that's what they wanted to see. Yep. I, I really wanted to hear Paul Heyman cut a promo about Bobby the Brain Heenan. I really wanted to hear that. Because there's so much of Bobby the Brain Heenan in what Paul Heyman does today. Yeah, they could have done so much more with the tribute. But we'd like to let's, let's actually move on with, with what they did present to us. So this is the go-home show for No Mercy. So we would expect this to be a big show, right? You think you get that big final hype, you know, they've been out there promoting, pounding their chest. We've got two WrestleMania-worthy marquee bouts here. And you think they would just set the world on fire. Make sure you're, you're rushing out there to get that 
Hit that WWE Network. This is a show you don't want to miss. And they sat on their asses. So, I, as far as I knew, the only match that was advertised coming into this show was Alexa Bliss versus Nia Jax. Was there anything else advertised for this show that you knew? Uh, they just had some random headlines advertised for it. As you know, I do the weekly previews for the Raw and SmackDown on a couple different forums for us. The only match that they had announced was this, this women's match. If you'd like to see those previews, you can visit us on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. So, but yeah, this, this is it. You know, they announced it last week in a little backstage segment, and that this is what they were hanging their hat on going into uh, week two against Monday Night Football. Well, and this should be a big blow off. I mean, they've been building to this match for months. Who was manipulating who and who was going to backstab who, but we knew it was coming. They've been building to this for months. This should be a big deal. I don't think we've seen the personal blow-off here yet. Well, no, because they just pissed it away for a random Monday Night Raw. I don't think ever that was the intention. You know, we were going to get a screw job ending here because you have so much, you have so many other intangibles that are involved in the, in the program that's going on right now. In this women's storyline. Well, let, let's go to the very beginning. So Monday Night Raw kicks off. Kurt Angle comes out. And number one, there's no mention of Bobby the Brain Heenan. They, I mean, they showed the graphic, but I, I would have thought that Kurt Angle even would have addressed it into the fans just to get a brain chant or a weasel chant. Get something going there. You know, just to get something know. going as a tribute. Oh, but, if, you want, if you want to get those people to hang on, especially into your third hour, let them know, hey, stick around. We've got something special planned for when later on in the show. So Miz comes out. Miz and Angle exchange words. Angle announces the big four-way, which becomes a six-way to decide who's going to be the challenger to the Miz at No Mercy for the Intercontinental Championship. So here we are five days, six days before the pay-per-view, and we still don't know what the Intercontinental Championship match is going into Monday Night Raw. I think that's a problem right off the top. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not like Miz was out of action, you know, doing a movie or anything like that. He's been a featured player on your programming since SummerSlam. And Miz is one of the best in the company right now, bar none. Oh, unquestionably, you can make an argument that he is the best in the company right now. You know, when it comes to all those you know, the different aspects of a character that you need to be successful in the sports entertainment pro wrestling industry. So this sets up the six-pack challenge match for later. And then we move into the only match that was advertised for the show. And I just, I don't understand that logic. If you've been hyping it for a week, that this is the big draw to this show, why do you give it away in the first hour? First, I would have preferred to move this the actual match later in the show. Give us some backstage drama, some build going forward. You know, this time we didn't know anything about Bailey, but you know, get get Sasha and Emma's thoughts on what's going on. You start building some intrigue, not around, you know, not just about this one-on-one encounter, 
really start getting me hyped for Sunday at No Mercy when they're all going to rock horn. When I made the rundown for this week, I always, when I make the outline, I put raw and then whatever we know that's advertised. And I thought, is Nia Jax versus Alexa Bliss really the best program to headline against Monday Night Football? I had no idea they were going to put this in the first hour of the show. It doesn't make any sense on any sort of a logical level. They're just booking week to week, and nobody knows what's going on. And then I, I, I do have a point I want to get to with it going off so early in the show. But I'll let you go on to your conversation here, because I know we're getting to it. I don't want to jump ahead and change the, the direction that we're heading. So they have the match. Um, Alexa absolutely playing the chicken shit heel. Are, are we safe to say that Nia Jax is just playing a monster at this point? She has no character. She's just Godzilla. Yeah, it's safe to say that. That's why it describes her perfectly. So, even when she does talk, you don't get any kind of emotion or drawn out answers. You don't know what she's feeling or what she's thinking. So you have the chicken shit heel versus Godzilla. The chicken shit tries to run away from Godzilla. Makes sense. And then the hero of the story comes out to drive the chicken shit back to Godzilla. Okay. I don't necessarily like the logic here, but I guess I can go along with it. What kind of stood out there to me, you know, what's is there in between these two? She has... There's two options. Run back towards the monster who you're terrified of, who's been manhandling you. We'll try to go through, because about your size, there's a little stick in front of you. I mean, why would you go Why would you run back to Nia Jax instead of just going through Sasha? I would like my chances better with Sasha than what I just went through with Nia. And so then, of course, we finally get this intrigue of what is Alexa going to do and it's time for break. These commercial breaks in the middle of matches are killing me, man. Now, uh, so a lot of times, you know, during a match, they go into the rest holes and items like that. <laughs> How boring would that have been just seeing, get to sit through that entire break with either they're having a little standoff or Liz is just trying to run away or whatever the hell they had going on during that break. So the match continues. Nia Jax pins the champion because, of course, you want your champion to lose on national TV a week before the pay-per-view. Talk which about she's, driving me crazy. And she's I, featured in the promo for the pay-per-view. I just can't. I can't stand it when it happens. Any time that it happens, I cannot stand when a champ gets pinned. And it happens over and over and over again in WWE. Because I don't know if they're just, if it's laziness or stupidity that they can't figure out a way to build intrigue around a challenger without making a champion look like shit. People will pay more to see a dominant champion than they will to see a vulnerable champion. And I don't think they understand that. But a perfect example is what's going on with Okada over in New Japan. People, people are dying to see him lose that title now because he is a dominant champion. Well, he has been, but he, I know 
not to get too far ahead because we do have some New Japan talk coming up, but he is starting to show some cracks over there. Well, he's breaking down, man. It's been one hell of a run. It's been one well, hell of a run. But back to Raw. So Nia Jax pins the champion. And then, of course, the hero of the story jumps Godzilla. What's the logic here? What, why would you have the baby face jump the monster? It's just things that, they, that they're doing across the board. They try blurring these lines. Because they want you, they think that everybody has to be, you know, that cool villain is fan favorite or as the hell you want to describe it. That just made no sense to me. Made no sense. I was happy to see, though, Godzilla swat Sasha Banks like a fly. She's just throwing her around like she weighs absolutely nothing. That was entertaining. And then the hometown heroes music hits, and we get the return of Bailey. What did you think of the return of Bailey? Place went, place went crazy for her. I well, mean, it I, is her hometown. I understand that. You know, I mean, that's a great, you know, great timing. You can get that big reaction on your return. I was surprised. Popped a little bit. Hey, you know, I said I'm a bad, like a huge Bailey fan or anything like that. But hey, you know, she's back. That injury wasn't as, you know, as bad as one spot. So Bailey jumps in the ring, and we suddenly end up with Bailey, Sasha, and Alexa taking out Nia Jax. My problem here, knowing what we know now, that they weren't going to use these ladies for the remainder of the show, this right here is why it would have made more sense to me to have this thing later in the evening. Well, I think the idea was, if you're bringing Bailey back, fire up that crowd. There was not a lot of wrestling on this show. So I, maybe they were just trying to get that crowd hot, but I don't know. It totally missed the mark for me. I'll give you that. Well, then, you know, then they're all sitting there. They, they run jacks off. Well, well, it, be, be, before before you get into the, the next part of it, there's one image that will stand out in my memory from this entire sequence. And it's after they take out Nia Jax, and Nia Jax is rolling out of the ring, Bailey goes over and kicks her in the head to get her out of the ring. Which is not, a, it should not be a Bailey move. It takes me back to last year's Survivor Series when they went over and jumped the uh, SmackDown girls, and Bailey's in there. It's like Bailey doesn't even know baby. who Bailey is anymore. There were quite a few actions in this segment on Bailey's behalf where I was kind of scratching my head like, this isn't Bailey's character. She doesn't do this. And, and we're seeing this time and time again because they just don't know what the hell they have with her. And then the next question is, where in the hell is Emma? Where is Emma? At least we get a tweet from Emma that says, you know, I've got a title match on Sunday. I don't need to be there tonight. Yeah. Uh, screw. Screw Hangman. The real yeah. question is, where is yeah, Emma? Yeah, where is Emma? Yeah, and they give her, you know, Corey, you know, Corey Graves gives her, the, well, as always, she's on social media. Bullshit that. I can understand her not coming out there. Yeah, it, it does. It makes sense. You're a little smarter. I'm not going to go out there and put myself in this. Yeah, but just put a microphone in her face. Have her cut yeah. a promo. Give her, give her a backstage segment 
later on in the show explaining this. Yeah, just do something with her. And then at this point, and there's a number of ways that they, they could have done this besides just saying, oh, we got news, now it's our five-way. Yeah, we so now Bailey has been added to this match. Why has Bailey been added to this match? Well, I'll defend that choice there, but the setup to here is you could have had Emma back today talking about how she's so smart. She knows not to go out there. She's the one that stole that pin, got that victory to, to get her and Nia in that match in the first place. By her not going out there, she's one step ahead of every everyone else because they now know she's got the mind game going. She's got the mental edge. Then maybe you, then maybe you have Bailey come in and confront her and give Bailey a little time and say, "Hey, I'm back. I should have been there at SummerSlam taking on Bliss. I should be." The just show now. Bailey. Just just do this for me. Just have Bailey go walking up to a cameraman backstage and say, hey, come here. Come with me. And go walking into Kurt Angle's office. That, that was my next statement. And have no, Bailey just go up and tell Angle, listen, I got screwed out of my title match. I want in this match on Sunday. And Angle says, okay. That's all they had to do. It's a 15-second pre-tape. Now... Actually, what I would have done here, and it, and I like Emma, I like her very, very much. I would have had, going back to that scenario I was talking about there, where Emma's running her mouth, Bailey comes in, talks about how she's back, she deserves to be there, then let's insert Kurt Angle here, and I'd set up to get some, to get some real intrigue going here. i set up for the pre-show, coming this Sunday, Bailey versus Emma, for that fourth spot in that match. Now we got two we got two hot matches that we're looking forward to on Sunday. I'd be down for that. I'd be down for that. The only other thing to talk about in the women's division on Raw is you had the same Oscar promo air that they aired last week, which again tells us absolutely nothing about Oscar. You're just supposed to be intrigued. This, this all that you know about Asuka, if, if you don't watch NXT, all these people know about Asuka is she wears a mask. That's all they know about her. You know, and as we said last week, it's a great visual, great little package, but they're missing out. They're missing out on so much opportunity to, to hype her up, to get some intrigue going, to get people like, damn, they're really fighting over here this much here? She's as much of a talent. And the worst part is, is NXT put out this awesome three-minute package saying farewell to Asuka. And those, if they would have put those three minutes on Raw, it would have been the best three minutes on Raw. They're just shitting the bed again. That's what they do. Blackjack lands a lot of talk over the past few weeks regarding the incredible Hulk Hogan. You mean, wait, you mean incredible Sulk Hogan. You see, what happens is the man failed to get the job done. Now, you can put it any way you want. His explosive makeup, you know what he is. He cannot control himself. He blew it. He blew it completely. He couldn't get the job done. So what's he Is he at home now? Mommy's fixing bacon and eggs. Well, you know what amazes me. He comes whining. into the ring with a shirt that says, we want the belt. 
He's talking about Hulkamania. I'm going to do this for the people. I'm going to win the championship for the people. Where is he right now? Do his people know where he is? The Incredible Hulk, he's sulking someplace. He's the Incredible Sulk Hogan. He's probably at home in Venice Beach, California, and his mother's back has just gone out trying to get him out from under the bed. He's probably hiding wow. under there, whining and crying. Big six foot eight, 380 pounds of him, whining and crying because he didn't get the job done. He didn't let you down or me down. Wait. He let you humanoids down. And you're used to being down, so you enjoy it. Hulk Hogan, we've heard the last of you, seen the last of you, and I can breathe a little easier. Wahoo McDaniels goes in the That's same right. vein. Yeah. Him and Von Raschke and everybody else, especially the Indian. It takes the ring post for him to get a victory. He's talking about how he beat the world's champion. He wants this and he wants that. Hey, pal, go back and knit some blankets and stay out of our business. Let me, go ahead. Let me just say one thing. Wahoo McDaniels, since Hulk Hogan, see if you can borrow his crying towel. Because if you can only accomplish a victory by using a ring post, you're a sad representation, not only of your race, of as far as I'm concerned, the sport of professional wrestling, because you are a total failure. Blackjack Lanza. And he has no business number, number one contender. No way. Anyone who breaks the rules like that man does doesn't deserve to be in the ring with a gentleman like Nick Bockwinkle. Can you picture Hulk Hogan's mom sitting at home with that big 340-pound goon on her lap, and she's patting him on the back while he's whining and crying, and he's talking about Nick Bockwinkle well, and the please. championship? I'm not a crier. I'm the first guy to admit if I lose. But he's the biggest crybaby I've ever uh, seen. I don't know. Maybe it's next to Wally. very unlikely to meet Bobby Heenan. Blackjack lands to Nick Bockwinkle. More action after this. Stay tuned. Oh, where do we want to go next? Do you want do we want to go ahead and go to Roman or do you want to go to the tag match? Let's talk a little tag team wrestling. Tag team wrestling. So we have Sheamus and Cesaro versus the club versus Seth and Dean. There's one thing that we learned out of this match. Don't call Dean Ambrose a nerd. Oh, that triggered everything right there, man. It set it off. Do you have anything to say about the match? Are you excited about the build to um, two-thirds of the shield versus the bar? I have two quick points here. I'm getting a little tired of them just meshing these teams together constantly and these different type of multi team scenarios. But with that, I, I am really starting to dig the bar. I'm, I'm liking their work. I like Cesaro and Sheamus together. Um, from everything I heard, it, I thought this would have happened already, but Sheamus is supposed to be going to make a movie. I'm not sure if he's still doing Raw and shooting the movie or if that shooting hasn't taken place yet. I'm not sure what's up with that. When they lost the tag titles, God, I don't know, a month ago or two months ago, whatever the hell it was, I thought he was leaving to go shoot it then. The one thing I don't like about Sheamus and Cesaro is when I'm when I'm making the clips for this show, I literally listen to Monday Night Raw through headphones with no video, and listening to a Sheamus and Cesaro promo is difficult. So you're listening to an entire raw with no visual. With no visual, just like 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 I'm listening to a baseball game, 
on the radio? Do you have the suicide prevention line on like speed dial? Oh, man. It's brutal, man. The things I do for this show. There you go. I'll get you something nice for Christmas. I will say, of these three teams, the only ones that really seem like they know how to talk on a microphone to me is the club or the Good Brothers, Anderson and Gallows, whatever you want to call them. Those guys are money on a microphone. They bring it. They, they just know what they're doing. You know, they, they flow naturally. They play off of each other. You can tell they're, cause they're a real team. And yet they're two of the most underutilized talents on the roster, alongside their former partner in crime, one Mr. Finn Balor. The underutilized club. I believe in early 2018, we will see them reunite. Well, your friend uh, Kevin Mize sent in an email asking about all the Bullet Club shirts uh, that are in the crowd. And I think this directly correlates to how the club has been pushed and how Balor has been pushed. I think it bugs Vince to no end that all these people are showing up in Bullet Club shirts. So he treats the talent that was in the Bullet Club like shit. Please, God, nobody tell Vince that AJ Styles was in the Bullet Club. Well, he already has to know it because he put him in a stable called the Club. I mean, it's just... Anderson and Gallows, in my mind's eye, along with the Hardys probably well, until the Revival get back, are the best true tag team on that roster. And they just don't do anything with them. By all indications, Balor is getting these ridiculous pops at these shows, and they do nothing with him. Hell, he wasn't in front of the live crowd this week. And you know how I personally feel about Balor? I'm just not a fan of his. I guess I, can, I appreciate you know his ability in the ring and all that. It's just the connection between you know the Lego Lord and the Demon to me that just kills it. But I'm not naive enough to think, hey, I just you just got to bury this guy, get him away because the masses do love him. There's in money marketing. in Finn Balor. I'm, I'm in marketing. It's not about he goes much of the, the Joe Dirt you know phrase. It's not about what you want. It's about what the consumer wants. I have always said that if if music was a sport, Dream Theater would have been the world champions. But instead, we got Nickelback. That's not how entertainment works. It's not about who's the best. It's what do the people like. They like Finn Balor. They like the demon. Go with it. Do something with it. I want Miz and Balor for the Intercontinental I want, title. I just want them to hold off on that until WrestleMania season. Because that, that could be a hot undercard he's going on. I think anything less than the Intercontinental title picture for Finn Balor by WrestleMania is an absolute travesty. Anything less anything less than an IC picture, and I don't want to say safe to just to write that son of a bitch off. 
I don't understand how Vince McMahon. It's got to be because of Gallows and the Festus thing. I, I always thought that if any of those guys was going to catch fire in the WWE, it would be Machine Gun Anderson. Machine Gun is incredibly underused on that roster. I'm I'm not sure people necessarily know that. At one time, him and Shinsuke Nakamura had one hell of a feud over in New Japan for the Intercontinental Championship. Machine Gun is a pretty damn good solo wrestler. He reminds me a lot of a young ringmaster Steve Austin. I love this reoccurring you know, thread that we've got here, trend that we've got here. And this is one of those guys that I saw from his beginning. He started right here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Too bad, Chad Allegra. Great talent. Even back then, his character work was unbelievable. And you knew he was going to be one of those guys that was going to take off and reach the top. And it's the little things that he does. Like when he gets out of the ring, he drops down and rolls out. He never steps in between the ropes. You know, it's just little detail work like that that people don't necessarily pick up on that makes him stand out. I'll tell you what, it's one hell of a son of a bitch too. I'll drink some Jaeger Mike's here with him. Oh, and then when man. he tells you he's got a hot Asian wife. He has oh, a hot boy. Asian wife. Does that fucker have a hot Asian wife? I remember the first time that that we saw him at a show, because it was cool about it, you know, he can't really do it anymore, but when he was with me in Japan, when he was off tour, he would come back and, and work the Northern Wrestling Federation indie shows. You know, he'd come and do a spot here and there or, we had a month off. He'd do a month program for him. But what a place, uh, oh, man. Somewhere down in Kentucky, they were doing a show. And there is this smoking, smoking hot Asian, Asian lady sitting there. You know, we're everybody. Jaws are on the floor. Tongues are hanging out. You know, it's like a Looney Tune commercial. Your cartoons with the wolf in the nightclub and all that. Oh, here comes Too Bad Chad. Comes right in the door, walks on over, shoots you right up, made her start, you start making out right there. We're like, ah, oh, that son of a bitch, that lucky son of a bitch. I think some of my favorite machine gun work was when it was uh, basically uh, Anderson and AJ Styles when the Bullet Club was feuding with the Kingdom over in New Japan, and AJ and Anderson going after Maria Canellis. And some of the salsa dancing and Umaria promos were just tremendous. The guys always had it. I, I, and I hope maybe that they do get to turn it around here. I just think they're just one of those, those groups that are locked in the shuffle. But hey, he's making that WWE money, so that's always good for anybody. Good for them, guys. Good for them, guys. They, they absolutely deserve that WWE paycheck. One of the other big questions that I had going into this episode of Raw was if they would finally let Roman Reigns cut a go-home promo. I made this comment to you last week. When has Roman Reigns ever cut the babyface go-home promo? And you were like, huh. They kind of let him do one this week. How do you think he did? From what I heard of it, it's no secret that I am turned off to this program. And I found this would be a good time to go refill my drink and grab a bite to eat. Because it just came off 
it's the same old, same old to me. I just heard him start dropping inside terms. He wanted to use vulgarity. It's just sophomore humor once again to me. It didn't do anything for me. You're going to drop Alex Riley in there. Well, the big thing that really talk stood out to me was, yeah, Roman, you talk a lot of shit when Cena ain't here to defend himself. That was one of the big things that stood out to me. That was very much how that promo came off to me. You know, what I heard of it, it he didn't even really own the moment either. Well, yeah, because he's, he's out there lying through his goddamn teeth. Here's the problem. Two weeks ago, Roman Reigns says, John Cena's leaving us for Hollywood, y'all. But he can't, he can't seem to get into Hollywood. But, you know, I know a guy if you need some help, John. And then he comes out this week and he rips on John Cena for being in Hollywood making a movie. Yeah, it's just back and forth. And he can't stay on one train of thought. And the problem is the people that this program is catering to are smart enough to know that John Cena was actually in China doing PR work for the WWE. I saw that in quite a few chat threads. You know, people will call it right out. Like, uh, no. If you're going to cater to the smart fans, you can't sit there and lie through your goddamn teeth. It doesn't work that way. The smart fans know better. You can stand there and say, Roman Reigns, that I'm selling the tickets that you ain't sold in five years. But the people who actually know what the ticket sales are know better. I don't know if in this case would have preferred the split screen, pre-record, you know, sell it as Cena is live in China or whatever, over, between these two, over Brock and Strowman. I mean, I I came on here last week and I made the comment, you know, if there were 10,000 people in that arena, how many of them knew that Roman Reigns failed a drug test a year and a half ago? If we did that same comparison this week, the number of people that know the Alex Riley, John Cena situation is even lower than the number of people that know that Roman Reigns failed a drug test. Yeah, they're pandering to a small minority. A very small minority. A very, very small minority. A niche of a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche. They're catering to people that are like you that listen to shows like this. And you're the people that don't give a shit about this program. It's going to be a good match. Sure, I'll be entertained. But the backstory in this build, uh, it's, it's doing nothing for me. And unless something happens on the pre-show, I really could just give a shit less. I think this is part of the problem. Going back to The Miz, is The Miz Roman Reigns greatest adversary in this program we've seen twice now Miz versus Cena in Wrestlemania builds Roman hasn't said anything that Miz hasn't already said except Miz delivers it a million times better what the situation is everyone says the same shit about Cena over and over and over but the Miz just does it better well, because the Miz is the best heel in the company awesome. right now. They need they need to find out. They need to find a new way to stack these people up against Cena. 
It's the same song to dance over and over, just with a different dance partner. We need something else there. And I hate that they're billing this match as whose WWE is it? It's Brock Lesnar's WWE. He's the one with the belt. It's Brock and it's Braun. The two guys that could kick the shit out of these guys claiming to be fighting over the yard. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense. Who wins in this program? If Cena wins, does he really win anything? Does, if Reigns wins, does he really win anything? We, the fans who have to sit through this shit show, are we getting anything out of this? Who do we hope wins this match? It doesn't make any sense. Well, we're going to find an answer to all these questions coming up. You know, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher right now. I think they're going to put Roman over. But, you know, what's the next step for him? Where does he go? Yeah. What kind of reaction are you wanting from him here? You know, you've, you've really divided a lot of, of your fan base here, and you, you've exposed this guy that's supposed to be your next megastar. You've exposed a shit ton of his weaknesses here. And then you move into a program that has been booked correctly with Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar. I know how I think this match is going to go. You know how you think this match is going to go. We have the same result, but it's how are we going to get there? Yeah, that's, that's the question. But the difference is... We, we know that Brock's most likely, I, you know, I'd say 99% that he is going to walk out of here with this championship. And I know we've got some questions about that coming up. But, I, know, could, how, I could make arguments either way. I could make a, a legit, valid argument going either way for Strowman or Lesnar. Assuming that Lesnar is leaving and is taking some time off between now and January, which is the report. That's the hot rumor out there. That's the report. If Brock is around, there's no way I take that title off of Brock to put it on Strowman. If Brock's going to be around. If he's not going to be around for three months, well, Maybe. And that's a long time to have nothing with the chance. I mean, we've gone three months without him before. Yeah, it's not a big thing to go three months without Brock Lesnar. I mean, God, he went, what, three months after he won the title? But the difference, the difference here is Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman knows how to promote a fight. Much like Bobby the Brain Heenan knew how to promote a fight. They sit there and they build up their opponents. Heenan and Heyman both would tell you how dangerous the opponent is going into the match. Build them up. Build the anticipation. Roman and Cena, they're just telling you how big a piece of shit each other are. Well, it's like, because just playing, you know, sophomore grab, grab ass. Who am I supposed to hope wins? I want to see you both lose. I want to see Braun Strowman come out and put both of you through tables and carry you both out on stretchers. That's what I hope happens with John Cena and Roman Reigns. You're getting that. On on one side, you're getting, like you just said, I hope you both lose. And then on the other one, what's is a classic, traditional, big man battle. You know they're just going to freaking destroy each other. Someone's going to get hurt. It's going to be brutal. 
and you know it's going to be so good, it's been so hyped, you almost don't care who wins because the journey is going to be so good that as fans and viewers, we're all going to win in the end. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman have turned Braun Strowman into a star. It started with Roman Reigns because everybody hates Roman Reigns that much that we cheered Braun Strowman. But now, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar have turned Braun Strowman into a star. And it's thanks to the, the Heyman hype. What do you see as the ceiling for Strowman? I think he's still so very young to really put that rocket on him to make him your top guy. I see possibly after WrestleMania season and then really just unleash with him. Just, you know, let go at that point. I could see, and I can't believe, a year ago, I couldn't believe that I would be saying this now, I could see Braun Strowman as the next Undertaker. That type of character. The guy who doesn't necessarily need the title, but he's always doing something freaking cool. Right. And I try to clarify for some people out there, you're not talking about the same gimmick and all that. No, no, it's not the that, same gimmick, just the same role in the company, it, inside of the company. The wrong way. It's, yeah, it's that... That, 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 that big man, yep, that big man who's a complete badass that can come after the title whenever he wants it, but he's he'd rather settle personal grudges. Right. Then I no, think I we got Corey Graves' favorite segment ever, as if we needed to put Braun Strowman over some more. What did you think of Braun Strowman killing <laughs> Enzo Amore? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, right when it happened, it, I, I popped a little bit. I'm like, holy shit. How much of a kick does Vince McMahon actually get out of seeing poor Enzo get his ass whooped? I'm telling you, what is the worst thing we can do to Enzo Amore this week? And that's how Vince books the show. I'm telling you. He yeah, loves watching Enzo surprised. getting the shit kicked out of him. At this point, I was surprised that when Braun flipped that ambulance, you know, not so long ago, that Enzo just wasn't happy to be strolling by and the fucker landed on him. My <laughs> God. But, hey, I'll tell you what, man, Enzo sold that like a champ. Man, did he take that thing. But did you catch the thank you Strowman chants? I, I heard that. I thought that was great. And I saw some people who were like, why would he do this? And it makes sense because, you know, everyone's been all about talk, talk, talk lately. Heyman wants to talk. He had to go through this sit-down interview. He hears these other guys just out there dueling microphones. And who's one of the biggest loudmouths in the company? Enzo. So now Braun's ready to show people, hey, I'm shutting mouths up. And it just happened to be the little twerp that he got. Speaking of the sit-down video package, do you think that is the best way to present Braun Strowman? Like- there, were, there were parts of that I really liked, and, and they were all on the Heyman Lesnar in well because Braun is this monster right he's he's presented as this monster and I feel like that promo really humanized Braun Strowman and it's not we don't need that from him no no we don't need that from him yeah I'm, I'm not sure that I like Braun in that sit down kind of environment you know, unless it's like in a dark cave somewhere. Well, I would have with been lots fine of meat on the walls. With just a an individual 
Heyman, Lesnar sit down, and then then make that a theme through the show. You know, these guys just want to sit and talk. And I, I really did like how Brock came off at the end there, you know, thanking thanking Braun and, and the others that say he's the underdog because when he's in a corner, he, that's when he's the most dangerous. I, I like that part of it. I would have had, I would have liked to see them just being a single interview. And then throughout the show, Braun is just running around, just, you know, freaking havoc on everything. They don't, I'm not a talker. I'm a destroyer. They can talk. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do Sunday since he's not here tonight. Brock is so cool and calm and collected and focused. And you can just feel the intensity coming through that guy's eyeballs. And they've done a really good job. You know, we sit, we knock them on so many things here, but for the most part, Hey, I'm intrigued for this one. This, looking, I, I think this has been one of the better builds that WWE has done in a very long time. That image of Braun Strowman raising up the title with his foot in the middle of Brock Lesnar's chest, that's an iconic shot, whether Braun wins this title or not. Right. And that's, that's what you're going to have there. You got an iconic shot there with the beast down. So when either way it goes, you're, you're going to keep continue the dominance of Lesnar, which since you've done such a great job here that we keep discussing of building up Braun, he's going to look more impressive coming out of this possibly than surviving the four-way at, at SummerSlam. One other thing I wanted to touch on coming out of that Braun and Enzo segment. I love what they're doing with Neville. I love super villain Neville. He is one of the best acts they have going right now. He's staying within his limits and he is executing them to perfection. It's just kind of a shame that the cruiserweight division in 205 seems to be treading water. And, you know, it's not just getting a, it's not getting the reception at all, but yet you've got such amazing talent and character representing that division as its champion. The one thing I didn't like was the shot of Neville and Strowman together. That's one thing that I really want to give WWE credit for when it comes to 205 Live is they have really kept the cruiserweights and these monsters apart. One of the things that killed the cruiserweight division in WCW was the night that Kevin Nash threw Rey Mysterio like a lawn dart into a freaking truck. I don't care. I just don't love that image. That <laughs> was so crazy. He just darted him right into the Oh, I, it's, if you've never seen that clip, go look that one up. He just throws him like a freaking lawn dart. And it just, oh. you could just, the cruiserweight division took such a major blow after that in, segment. In my eyes, it, it was one of the most iconic shots ever. But you are right. You know, it, it's something you're just exposing the difference between your divisions there. It kind of, since we're tying this in here, and one I thing mean, that bothered the hell out of me is you have Enzo get just flat out smashed by Braun, and then he's cutting up an interview right after the commercial break. Man, that was terrible. That was terrible. And, and, and people complain about no selling in New Japan, you know? What I thought would have been hilarious there is if they're trying to get an interview with him. And he's like maybe just coming to, and he's like they're asking questions, and he's answering 
about shit from his childhood. Like, he's just <laughs> out of it. Like, in a day, he's like, oh, Luffy. I don't know what you're talking about, Mom. How you doing? Yeah. They start talking about big cats or something like that. Like, they're going out clubbing or some shit, you know? That that, that was the only... That, that bothered me on that, but... I don't know. Wow, when he took that shot, man. Props, props to Enzo. I promised it to you this week. I ain't gonna fool around. I promise. Hey, I got one thing to say, Piper. My man is here. The man who I promised is here. What about you? My man you're talking about? My man's here. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan. My man is here. I'm impressed and I don't impress easy. Now, for this discussion, may I present 15 years undefeated. The eighth wonder of the world, seven foot four, 500 pounds, Andre, whoa, the giant. Wait, what's going on here? Hold on, man. What are you doing with him? You guys aren't together. Come on, man. Andre, what are you doing here with Heenan? What's going on? Andre, listen, man. You can't be here with him. Don't you know what Heenan's done to me? To these people out here since you've been gone? It can't be so. Andre, listen to me. Day one, man, when I set my eyes on you, brother, you're the reason I got in professional wrestling. You were like a god to me, a role model. You can't be here with him, man. You're the one that took me all the way from nothing to the world's title. Andre, you can't be with him, man. No, no, wait one minute. You're the one that taught me, man, about respect for the fans, about helping the kids. You're the one that taught me about good sportsmanship. You set the, the mold for me to follow, man. What are you doing here with him? I'll tell you what he's doing here with me. He's sick and tired of you and what you stand for. Let me tell you something, Hogan. You're the one that for three years as world champion used this man. You're also the vermin that made this man, I can't tell you what I think about. You used him, they gave him a trophy. But no, that wasn't good enough. It was a littler trophy than yours. But you had to walk out and steal that moment. You're so jealous of this man, you can't stand it. He, oh, this is the man for 15 years that is undefeated. But did you ever once? No, man, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. When I won the world title, he poured champagne over my head. It was like a bond of friendship. You're wrong, Ian. Did you ever once, once in your life, offer him a championship match? You laughed behind his back. No, Andre, listen, it's not happening. Tell me it's not so, man. Even though you came out here with him, you don't have to leave with him. It's not happening. Thank you, Anselm, I'm shoulders. One more thing to say to you, Hogan. Look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm there for one reason, to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no, it's not happening. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. 
What are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? You can't my cross the shirt. What's wrong with him, man? You can't leave like this. You're bleeding. It's not out. Andre, come back, man. You don't have to leave like this. What no, is he no. doing? You're bleeding. Jesus. What's... Come, come. Andre. Come on. One other big angle off of Monday Night Raw this week. Jason Jordan versus The Miz for the Intercontinental title, as predicted on this show and every other insider pro wrestling show. It's been so obvious that they're building to this match. Do you like Jason Jordan versus The Miz at this point? Right now, I think it fits. I know that there's been a lot of heat on Jordan uh, from, from fans thinking that he is moving too fast right now and i agree with that i'd like to see a very slow burn here but i don't think he's going to take this title i think this is going to be another one of those building blocks and lessons for him there's been a lot of talk and a lot of possibilities thrown out for kurt angle to return to the ring is this the beginning of the build for kurt angle versus the miz would you be interested in seeing that match I have some interest. I, I guess maybe I'm just setting my heart or my head, whichever way, that that Jason Jordan Kurt Angle WrestleMania match is is a huge payoff for me. My question is, do you trust Jason Jordan in the ring with Kurt Angle at this point? With with his style. You got so much time to prepare that match. I know, man, but Kurt's neck, Kurt's neck, by all accounts, is fucked. Well, there is no, you know, there's no question if you're going to put. I mean, I feel like know, Miz is the much safer worker to right. put him in the ring with. If you're going to put an aging talent or anyone with health issues that come into question, that Miz is your obvious choice. The guy works such a safe style, but yet you're going to get a highly entertaining bout out of whoever he's in there with. One other thing I I, I did want to comment on, and and I think this all kind of correlates together. There was so much talking on this show. Oh, certainly. Which kind of ties in here, I was going to ask you, just with with this match coming up on Sunday for the Intercontinental Championship. We both agree we wish they would have started building this sooner. Now, they did rush it through this show, but, you know, we'll give them props for making a solid effort throughout this entire program to get you invested here a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I think it made it a little too predictable. You know, there was only, you know, the other, the other five people in that match really didn't seem to matter. It was all built towards Jordan there, but, but that's the case in so many, you know, great, great stories that we see in professional wrestling. But they did make a solid effort to get you invested in what was going on in that main event. And damn, that closed with Miz standing over him with that microphone. You will always be a bastard. Oh, it was perfect. That's all you need. It fade the black right there. Miz's delivery is just so good when he's cutting those promos. Um, how do you think the crowd came off for this show? Because there was a lot of video packages uh, in tribute to Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, as well there should have been. 
there was a lot of people standing in the ring with a microphone, lots of backstage, pre-tapes. I mean, there was only, what, four or five matches in a three-hour show? No wonder attendance is down. For what it was given, I thought the crowd responded pretty well. You know, you get into a show like this, or, you know, you have four packages for two matches. You get into a show like this, it's hard, you know, to hold your attention, not to, to doze off. I mean, when I see I'm going to a go-home show for a pay-per-view, I expect a solid show. But look at the talent that wasn't on this show. Brock Lesnar's not in front of the live crowd. John Cena's not there. Finn Balor's not in front of the live crowd. I mean, that's three of your top acts right there. I remember watching Monday Night Raw, going to Monday Night Raw, and you didn't sit down the entire show. And now it's trending back to what it was in the early 90s, for better or for worse. Did you happen to see the photos of the crowd from From SmackDown? Uh, I saw the SmackDown ones that you shared with me, and then I just recently caught from Raw, they had the entire upper bowl tucked off in the arena, and then there were huge gaps of empty seating throughout the, the middle part of the arena. Oh. Which, which, I also, which I also attracts me up that for the last couple weeks we've heard Roman bragging about how numbers are up and tickets are flying with him at the helm. But again, he's catering to those smart fans who know better, I, I that know that I revenue know. is only up because of the ad revenue that you're getting from USA Network. It has no, but, nothing to do with Roman Reigns. He specifically says tickets are up. And he's full of shit. Yeah. So I don't know. I think he, he is just trying. I, I think that's a rib. But I don't know. That's like the only part of those promos that, that I find entertaining. I think he's trying to rib people there, but... I don't know. I still, I chuckle about that line. In case you're keeping along at home, last week's numbers, since we didn't have them on the show, Raw drew a 1.97. This week, Raw drew a 1.93. That's the first time that they have had two weeks back to back below 2.0 since uh, May 22nd and May 29th. Man, that's disappointing for them. Well, I think the most disappointing number is here. Uh, the The show opened with 3.123 million viewers in the first hour. 2.844 in the second hour. 2.532 in the third hour. So that's a drop-off of 591,000 viewers. The average for the year is 222. So more than double. It's not good when most of your TV is uh, your ad revenue, you know? Not good at all, my friend. Not good at all. All right. We're going to take a pause here. We're going to put in a Bobby Heenan promo for y'all, and we'll be right back with some SmackDown talk. See you on the flip side. 